Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week has been working in gambling addiction for 15 years. He perfected his craft at the UCLA Gambling Studies Program, and now he's a teacher at the USC Masters in Social Work Program. He runs his own successful practice and is here to kind of share his takes on what it's like to deal with people involved in gambling addiction. Please welcome Dan Field. Dan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Spanky. Really appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine. So, Dan, how did you, uh, let's talk about how the practice first started. Um, what made you decide to go into therapy, um, not just gambling therapy, I think you started off with other therapies. How did the therapy guy come out in you? Well, you know, I started out as a public high school teacher, actually, in San Francisco, where I was um, raised. And I found that in working with uh, special ed and with kids with disabilities, that there was only so much I could do in a, in a group setting. I was more, you know, sort of uh, keeping order in the classroom. <clears throat> so I really wanted to go into therapy. I wasn't really clear on what avenue excuse me, I wanted to go into. And um, I applied for a program at UCLA. Uh, I got my master's in social work. And soon enough, I was working in uh, homeless services at the VA. And there was so much substance abuse and addiction there. And I really connected to that issue because, you know, there are reasons why people get addicted to stuff. It's not just that they like the taste of alcohol or they like the way cocaine makes them feel. You know, there's usually an underlying mood disorder or, you know, trauma or, you know, unresolved issues that they're working with. So the VA was a good place for me to get my training. And I worked in three of their residential programs and there were a lot of addictions, not just drug addiction. Um, you know, there was a lot of sex addiction. There was gambling addiction. There was a whole host of um, issues. And I just love sitting in a room with someone for an hour and talking about what makes them tick, their history, and listening with my ears and with my heart. And, you know, each person's different. And there's a different uh, reason why people you know, seek therapy and why they get addicted to different things. And someone who drinks is someone is different than someone who uses cocaine is different than someone who gambles. What I liked about gambling addiction treatment was that there was a tangible result, you know, not just financially, but financially, you could see it on a paper if people were, you know, addressing their addiction, they were managing their money better generally, because that's part of the treatment for gambling addiction is better money management. And they were getting a hold of um, their emotional well-being as well. So, you know, I got trained in 2011 uh, in gambling studies addiction. I was working mostly with meth and, and stimulant addiction at the time. And it just was a good fit, I think, because I'm a competitive person myself you know, uh, playing sports in high school and just my upbringing. Um, I, will, I, I know what it feels like to want to win. And I know how that kind of gets hijacked by the gambling industry and someone, you know, totally unintended, you know, gets involved in watching sports, betting on sports, and it can capture you really quickly and it can destroy things really quickly. Um, and so I was really motivated to help people with their addiction and getting their financial and emotional lives back on track. And the more I've, I've done this and the more I've seen, uh, you know, the preponderance of, of offshore and, and onshore betting sites and the availability of betting on sports, the more I was motivated to help with this specific issue, because when I was working in a residential treatment program for problem gambling, I saw that this sports betting thing is really blowing up and that the majority of people presenting for services were younger um, and more quickly addicted and the damage was severe. 
uh, very, very fast. So I decided to hone in on this issue of sports betting, but my training in general addictions and my work at the VA and, and underlying mood disorders and, and, and you know, co-occurring issues with mental health really serves my, my work with, with sports betting. And so that's what I do now. You know, the, the bulk of my clients are gambling addicts. Some are traditional brick and mortar slots players, blackjack players, Baccarat still very much in the mix. Uh, but increasingly, it's, it's all about sports betting. And that's why I developed this, the, the website StopBettingSports.com. Beautiful. All right. So, so I, you know, I like to because, you know, therapists, a lot of people, uh, therapy is good for a lot of people and it's, 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 it helps a lot of people. So I know um, there's, you know, is there a, a, a roadmap as to be a good therapist? Like, you know, I know you said you're a good listener, you have a good heart. What is it exactly that kind of makes uh, a good therapist, not just in gambling, but in any type of therapy? I kind of want you to step back and kind of give me a big picture on what it takes from the beginning to the end of a treatment um, where you prescribe, let's just say a 10 session treatment or whatever. And, you know, are you, uh, you know, are there goals involved? Do you set <clears throat> goals? We can even t take it to gambling if you want. Like what, you know, somebody comes in their life's in shambles or whatever, what kind of goals you set? Do you set many goals, many hurdles to jump over? How are you making it Dan, so that you can say, okay, we've succeeded um is it complete stopping stop gambling altogether is it reducing it and like you said money management um take me through that uh step-by-step -step program on the progression uh, of of being able to have a successful uh treatment session well the first thing is to really discern why they're in the treatment session you know part of the ucla program is that they call 1-800-GAMBLER and they're hitting bottom or they're really dejected, despairing and broke. And that's actually a good place for me to start because they're at that bottom and they're very motivated for treatment and they're not having blinders on about the fact that this gambling is an issue. But in the first session is really to get a, a sense of what gambling is and what it's done for their life, what they like about it and what it's done in terms of the destruction and to get them to articulate that. And then when I can really get them to articulate that and sort of revel in the badness of the bottom, the real hardship that they've experienced, they feel that they have been heard and that, that I understand both the, the, the bad parts of it and the good part. But I'm constantly trying to figure out, are they motivated for treatment for something that they see as a problem in their life or is it a girlfriend, a parent, or someone else who's kind of coercing them, forcing them into treatment? You know, my therapy has been part of a, of a, you know, housing plan, so to speak. You go to therapy with Dan and you won't lose your housing type of thing. Mm. And that's not a good place for me to start. But then, yeah, it's, it's about listening. You know, I don't want to be prescribing things that they should do if they're not vested in it. So I really have to discern, um, how serious they think the problem is and do they want to do the heavy lifting work to get themselves out of the problem because the solution in the past was the solution to gambling is more gambling so i'm proposing that they stop gambling and they're obviously at a very low point because what gambling has done financially and emotionally and sit in that place and and work together to uh, create treatment goals that they're vested in, you know, uh, that they're articulating to me. They, there's a lot of talk in Department of Mental Health here in LA about client-centered goals. It's really true. The, the client has to be at the forefront of what they want out of this treatment. And I have to see the potential that they can actually realize those things without relying on their um, addiction. So, you know, often with gambling and other addictions, they're co-occurring mood disorder. I, I, I think about depression in particular. And so I'm talking about, you know, gentle nudges towards, you know, getting into a physical fitness plan and accountability there, gentle nudge into sleep hygiene. Let's put down our phones at like 11 or 12. Let's try to keep them off until seven or eight in the morning. Let's wake up. 
um, you know, a meditation or stillness minute or five minutes. Um, there are timers that I give analog timers where people are just standing still for five minutes, doing nothing, reflecting on gambling and re reflecting on their intention. So things kind of quiet down and you refocus and recalibrate and start integrating behavioral health into your weekly regimen and accountability there and motivation too. That's great. I, I, I like this um, in the sense of, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to make it so that there's other distractions that kind of keep them away from the gambling, which makes sense. Let's talk about, you know, I think examples would be, would be a great thing is there, you know, you probably seen the best of the best, worst of the worst um, come through, come through your doors. Let's go through some stories and, you know, how bad does it really get when it comes to gambling addiction, Dan? It gets emotionally painful. And when I think about the stories, I think not just about the gamblers themselves, but their families, you know, the, the moms and the dads and the girlfriends that are just realizing or, or hearing about how bad the financial damage has, has got. You know, and there's shocking stories like, you know, a, a gambler at the residential program who was 750,000 deep in gambling debt and, and navigating that with his family. I mean, luckily his, his parents had a lot of money, really feel that affluence and money is a mixed blessing in a lot of people's lives. I mm. appreciate that now in a different way. Um, and then there's more run of the mill things as I was thinking about extreme cases. I, you know, there's a, a, a young man, not so young anymore, who uh, is on disability at the VA. And um, when that disability check comes in, his compulsion to sports bet gets too strong, just like drug addicts. You know, the money comes in, you want to use, you want to gamble. And once again, as of yesterday, he finds himself in this position of being absolutely broke and owing a lot of friends and bookies and uh, payday loans money. So, you know, it's the very glamorous, I don't want to say glamorous, but the very dramatic scenario um, where someone's walking along train tracks wanting to jump on or jump off a bridge. Those have been real instances that I've dealt with. And the more run-of-the-mill passive, if you will, suicidal ideation, where you just feel so hopeless because of the hole that you've dug for yourself and, and so hopeless about ever getting out of it. Um, you know, you're not actually going to kill yourself, but you just feel so shitty. And you're parents are angry at you and your girlfriend may be leaving you because you've lied to her repeatedly. I'm in a position sometimes of justifying bad behavior on the part of the gambler because I understand that lying and stealing is part of the disorder. It's not okay, but it's part of the addiction. And, and that's sort of a difficult line for me to draw with, with, with some families because, you know, am I excusing the bad behavior or, 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 or not? But yeah, there's a lot of, you know, from, from people that have just gambled for, for a year or so and created a lot of um, destruction to those like Joel, your guest last week, who's been gambling for decades and has a more pervasive pattern of, of, of problem gambling. All right. Yeah. I, I, let, let's, because I, I, this is fascinating stuff. I, 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 you know, let's just say I'm again, I'm, you know, like you just said, somebody that's betting his whole paycheck mm -hmm. and he's broke as of yesterday. How, you know, what's the plan here? How do you take that guy and not have him spend his paycheck? What do you say to him? Treat, you know, pretend I'm the guy. Let, you know, let's do a sample therapy session. What are you, what, what, what's, you know, what are the techniques that you're using here? Well, Spanky, I don't know if we want to do a mock interview or, you know, be, be sort of like meta, um, you know, decide. But I'm going to assess, can you handle your money? Do you need not a fiduciary or a, you know a payee, but for some gambling addicts, you can't handle your money. Mm. And and because I've been doing this for a few years now, I kind of get a sense of, wow, this person just is completely needing someone to dole out cash allowance, which has been the prescription for some people. But taking away your money is like taking away your mojo for a lot of people they a lot of people just won't sign up for it and and i never you, you, treat them like a, you treat them like a little kid essentially 
Sometimes I do. Sometimes I say, listen, I don't think that you can stop gambling if you have a paycheck coming in. And we need to get that first 30, 60, 90 days of not gambling. So I'm really going to recommend that you let your wife handle your paycheck. It gets sticky when family members are handling money, you know, but but that's the thing, access to money. You know, if if you need money to gamble, then let's take the access away so you can't gamble. But I'm generally not a fan of safeguards. You know, I've had some couples that have GPS tracking devices on their phone. And, you know, when they drive at the casino, they want to know if they're at the casino. And, and even self-exclusion programs, you know, where you, you ban yourself, it has to be a deep conviction from within. Where there's a will, there's a way. So you're self-excluded in Hollywood Park or Commerce Casino in California. If you really want to gamble, you're going to find a way, maybe even going to Vegas or whatever. It has, you know, those are Band-Aid treatments and they can be helpful and they have been helpful. Um, but I do talk about self-exclusion and access to money. But I really want to talk and get to the heart of why you want to stop gambling for you, you know, not for your dad or not for your wife or partner or whatever why you want to do it so what is and, that what, what what drives people to just not stop gambling you know is, is it trying to is the dream of getting rich is it is it just you know to try to just get that high of, of sweating a game you know particularly in sports betting what you know describe it to, to me what what is in all the therapies that you've done what is it that drives people to not to just want to keep betting sports I think it's a combination, most profoundly the high. I think like it's most like you're doing research on a game. It's kind of like, you know, to use a sex election, you know, <laughs> analogy, you're kind of getting aroused, you know, you don't have an erection yet, but you're kind of getting like primed up. You, you know, you know what's, what's gonna happen. And then you make a decision. So there's a level of excitement and then the game starts and the action really starts. And that so all of that anticipation mm. and then, you know, the pop, you, you win or you lose. And even if you lose, there's a re renewed determination to get back in the actions. Like, okay, I got to regroup my efforts. You know, I got to like, okay, that was a bad call, but you know, Dan, you can do it better next time. And then you're talking, you're pumping yourself up for the next time and the, and the cycle starts. So it's a lot about the action. A lot of it is misguided views about wealth and, and greed and, 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 and retribution, you know, when I get my money, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to fuck with me, you know? Like, no, I'm going to be free of my, my parents' desires for me, and I'm going to show all those people wrong, you know? And then if you're really in deep, you want to just, uh, you want a big payout because you want to just get back to zero so you can just, like, get out of this gambling thing clean. I've lost 100 grand or 200 grand. I just want to win big, and then I'm out type of thing you know so there can it's, be there can be that too yeah chasing your loss that's always um that's always uh, it's 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 a a factor that's that's been that i've always seen from from a lot oh man dan this is just it, it's like it's 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 emotional stuff hearing you tell those stories and how people would you know i've heard it so much um and um and uh and, and it's a serious problem how um you know with respect, can somebody in treatment, can somebody like, you know, when you go to AA, GA, whatever, it's been 120 days since I had my last drink. It's been, you know, 230 days since I placed my last bet. <clears throat> can someone, can you treat someone to be able to go to moderate, to go towards moderation or is it always the extreme case of it's either you're gambling or you're not <clears throat> gambling? Initially, I really encourage abstinence to get a sense of where you are emotionally outside of the gambling. Mm -hmm. And when I say initially, I'm talking six to 12 months. You know, I'm working with, with people that are investing on Robinhood now, and I've, I've weathered some emotional fallout from crypto losses recently. And, and where do you go when you're investing? Because, you know, you don't want to just hold all your money in a, in a savings account with inflation. So with investing, it's a little different. You know, I, I recommend moderation, i.e. an index fund or something that you're not checking the market 
um, daily. There are questions about camaraderie with friends and fantasy leagues. You know, do I have to pull out a fantasy? And I and I make the case somewhat unconvincingly that fantasy kind of fans the flames of more larger bets. So I'm very much in the camp of gravitating away from all fantasy sports and sports betting activities and very conservative on any kind of investing, no NFT or crypto stuff, you know, more, more index um, funds. You know, I had a guy that just wanted to bet on Super Bowl. And, and so, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not your mom. You can do what you want. You know, everyone is, has self-determination. And, uh, you know, he did that and that had met, you know, middling positive effects generally. I mean, why not let it go? You know, if it's bad in your life and we, that's the goal of the, those initial therapy sessions to, to get the person to articulate to himself that this is bad, this is not working. If it's bad, why not get rid of it in its totality, you know? Agreed. Now, let's just say somebody comes because sports betting is one of those addictions where um, it, it's a problem for some people, but like, you know, for myself, obviously it's a solution. It's how I support my family. So there is that dream of treat, you know, kind of converting that problem to a solution. Do people come into therapy and try to convince you or convince themselves that they found the secret formula? They found that Holy grail of, you know what, this is something that I think I have an edge on. I'm able to support myself. Does that, uh, is that rabbit hole explored too, far too often? People have explored that within their own life endlessly before they come to see me. Mm. And they still come to see me with, if I only bet on baseball or if I only bet on, you know, and it's never basketball, it's usually some sport, you know, then, then you know, then I, then I would be golden, but it's that I get greedy or I start chasing. So I've had people... And, and this is also in poker context as well, people that are playing poker, but then they get greedy or they want to make money quickly. So they play Baccarat or Blackjack. Teach me, Dan, how to just play poker or teach me how to just play baseball. And that's too confusing for me. It has to be more of a, let's look at gambling at the aggregate. There's a reason why you call Dan Field. And that reason is because this isn't working for you. So it's working for you, Spanky, because you're in that, what I'm convinced is less than 1% of the people that are betting on sports and making a living at it. You know, it's working for some, which makes my messaging a little confusing, mm. you know, because it is, you know, there are people that can make it work, but my perspective is somewhat skewed because I never meet any of those people except for you. <laughs> yeah no i understand and uh and um it, that's what makes it so kind of like you said it's it's that gray area where people are always trying to uh to solve the puzzle or, or make it so that you know they can make a little extra cash um and and it's hard you know it's like it's it's, it's not just like any other addiction where like alcoholism and and and, and drugs you know what i mean that these are just temporary highs with no long-term uh, positive effects um, right. Whereas in gambling, you know, you know, if you if you get good enough, you could see that there's there's positive effects, but it's still, you know, uh, it, it's not to be to, to live life. Just to speak to anybody out there listening, to live life as a professional gambler is 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 not all the glitz and glamour that it's supposed to be. You know, it, it's it's very difficult, and uh, you, you don't, you know, I don't have a guaranteed paycheck. I don't have, um, you know, there's days in which we could work all day long and I lose money. You know, that that's who, what profession offers that, you know what I mean? Where you're, mm -hmm. where you're doing hard work and you actually have to pay to actually work. So it, it's the glitz and glamour is not all there. It's a tough thing. I just fell into it. Uh, you know, I don't really advise anybody to kind of want to, um, to want to think that you could gamble for a living or um, not that I could stop anyone. Just like you said, Dan, everybody's an adult here, but to be able to do something to think that, Hey, listen, I could, I could do this for a living. Usually if you're smart enough to gamble for a living, you probably are smart enough to do something a lot better and a lot more, a lot more, you can make a lot more money and it'd be a lot more safer. So you could actually decrease the risk, increase the return, um, which is the best thing out of it all. So I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely, in this day and age, I kind of push everybody, to, you know, if somebody says I want to go pro, I'd always say, you know, I, I think otherwise, um, you know, this podcast is called Be Better Better. We're trying to make everybody a better, better. 
but to be a, a, a full-time successful better, it really is very difficult. And, um, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And that's my sense of it. And, and the image from younger sports betters is that, you know, there is the glamour behind it. There is the, the quick rewards. And because they've turned, you know, a hundred dollars into, you know, 2,500, they, people have had those experiences and that, intermittent reward captures the imagination you don't look at at it in the aggregate of course of course yeah and and and, you know sometimes that once big win um is all you need to just keep the dream alive and think that that's going to happen again and again and again and um it's so difficult so and then you know you sort of talk about train tracks you know let's get this real here because i want to you know have you again you know I'm, i'm no names or whatever but have you ever you know, any, you know, given your years of therapy, has there ever been suicide issues where somebody actually pulled the plug and then, and, and, you know, actually the gambling, they just couldn't take it. Um, and how does that feel as a therapist? Did you feel a sense of shit? I lost the guy and, or I, I could have done more because I could imagine, man, it, it's a tough business. What you, what you do, or you're listening to is sad, you know, stories all day long. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. There's, I, there's, yeah, there's there, you know, there's a toll on the therapist, but Yes, absolutely. Um, I have not lost a, a, a gambling client to, to suicide, thank goodness. I have had many clients that have passive suicidal ideation or more threatening suicidal ideations, you know, scenarios where people want to drive into the other, uh, other lane, you know, uh, you know scenarios, the, the, the train track scenario. It's always on the back burner of my awareness and of many gamblers. I'm aware that the gambling addiction has the highest rate of suicide of, of all the addictions, you know? So I'm not normalizing talks about suicide, but I bring it up in every session. I assess for suicidality in every session. And, you know, particularly with some clients that have co-occurring severe depression. And I know that the worthlessness and the hopelessness that can result from a really bad gambling loss repeatedly is very dangerous you know, and that it can be a very impulsive act. It can be, you didn't wake up this morning intending to commit suicide, but things got so bad that you jumped out of a window. So there is a threat for mortality. And, you know, before the podcast, you're saying, you know, we're saving lives and yes, we are. This is a life and death issue. And it's a progressive disease. The more you gamble, the more likely you're you're going to cement this feeling of hopelessness of ever getting out of it, not seeing that there's hope. Um, so, yeah. so suicidal ideation and suicide attempts and and successful attempts are a real issue for for problem gamblers. What is 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 have you ever when you when you're talking with gamblers and suicide comes up? Um, do they brush it off like, no, 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 I'll never get to that extreme? Or is it, like you said, is it more once you bring it up, does, is that an underlying factor in the back of every gambler's mind that they could just end it um, by just, you know, ending it? So, you know. Well, it's tricky because they know that if I think that they're in imminent danger of suicide, I'm going to lose my mental health license if I don't call the paramedics and get, get the authorities involved. So I always get the I often get the caveat. Yeah, I think about, uh, I ruminate on death or I'm thinking about ending my life, but I'm not really going to do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to, they don't want a headache right now, but I, I double back down. I, you know, I assess that the lethality is not there. They've, they've assured me that they're not in imminent danger, but then I, you know, I double down or I, I double back on, on that talk of suicide. Like, when do you feel that way? You yeah. know, what, what, you know, you're feeling, and, and I talk about hopelessness, that's a more palatable word than suicidal ideation. And there is hope, things do get better, things are hard. And when you're broke, and when your girlfriend is angry at you, or you don't have a partner, or you don't have a house, or, or you, you, you realize that you've been in denial so long about your gambling addiction, that this behavior is just not gonna work anymore, it's very hard to face that music. And, and that's why it's important that people like me and others that are working in gambling addiction give people a venue to, to be listened to and heard about their hopelessness. 
and, and it needs to be aired. You know, I'm not going to brush over to how things are going to be great in a year when you're not gambling for a year in that first session. People feel dejected, broke, exhausted, and hopeless. And that just needs to be said. And when that's said, things get a little bit better, you know? Typical client, how many sessions do they need to have with you, Dan, to kind of get them, uh, get them, you know, fixed, as they say, or, you know, just get the gambling addiction under control? Well, my, my step in sports program is a one month program. And then if that month goes well, which it typically does, we'll do another month and then we'll do another month. I want them to commit to four weeks of sessions. Mm. Uh, so it's not just a week to week thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, you know, addiction is chronic and progressive. So ideally, you know, you, you need treatment for the rest of your life. I was telling a client today who is doing well that, you know, okay, we're going to twice a month now. But I think that once a month appointment for the rest of your life, I was half joking, but I really feel that way. You, you never want to forget that this is an issue, even if you do want to forget. One of the things that happens is like a year or two in, people get married, they're not gambling, they're doing well. They kind of want to forget Dan and the therapy. That was great. I did it. But I, I worry about complacency three, five years in. Mm. And so I'm really trying to encourage, not just because it's a good business model for me, I get you know a session a month or whatever, but that it's really important to revisit this conversation of your gambling and what it, what it did to you when you first had to, to see me. Um, but yeah, typically I'll, I'll see people for three to six months. You know, on average, it's probably six months, but it can be, it can be less than that too what uh you know what is a therapy with with you dan how does that compare to like a, a gamblers anonymous meeting what are the differences what are the similarities how do you feel about gamblers anonymous how do you feel about 1-800-GAMBLER and all the other avenues that are out there um well it differs because uh, GA is a peer-based group with other gamblers and the only requirement is a desire to stop gambling and that's a group setting you know and and people share, you know, for two minutes. In a GA meeting, though, you may have a share, but there's not an exploration of things that were said in that share. So in a therapy session, someone will say something to me, and I'll listen to it, and I'll say, hey, wait a minute, let's go back to this topic. And because it's in an enclosed space, virtual or physical space, there's a degree of intimacy and safety that exists in a therapy session. In a one-on-one, -on -one, they know that I'm not going to spill their beans uh, in a GA session, you know, meeting, there can be a sense of, I don't know these people or what they're going to say, even though it, it, the, the principle is to be um, anonymous. So, you know, therapy session is facilitated by a licensed mental health person. Uh, there can be mental health clinicians at a GA meeting, but, but not necessarily. GA meeting, you have a sponsor, you have the support of the group. You can have the identification with a group member like he gets me because he's a gambler too. And because I don't have a history of problem gambling myself, there could be, a, there could be that lack of identification because I'm not a gambler myself. Um, but I think they complement each other really, really well. And I recommend that people that are seeking therapy uh, go to a GA meeting and give it a shot, especially now post COVID where it's online. It's not like you have to drive to Burbank for an hour. You know, there are in-person meetings, but there's a lot of uh, virtual meetings as well. And I know people that just stop gambling with GA. As a therapist, I, I tend to be a little skeptical of that. I think everyone needs therapy to some degree. Mm. You need that place to just talk about the shit that you're going through. That's mm. what therapy is, you know. You see it th you, do you see a therapist? Not currently, but last year I was. And periodically, right. yeah periodically in my life i do nice i don't yeah. want to get personal i'm just saying if you think everybody needs a therapist i guess you know i'd ask if you used it but that's good oh absolutely yeah yeah absolutely so so how about 1-800-GAMBLER uh i see that advertisement all the time you know on the bottom of these sports book apps and all these other things and you know is that any good it is good i'm part of the 1-800-GAMBLER program so you would answer the phone like, how does that work um, you'll get a you, you'll get you'll get um, um, an operator who has some training in gambling addiction treatment, 
and we'll listen to your problem and get a sense of where you are geographically in the state of California, and then pair you up in what they call a warm handoff with a therapist like me. Um, and and 1-800-GAMBLER is part of the UCLA Gambling Studies Program, which provides no-cost therapy for, for gamblers, you know, that, that can't afford it. Gotcha. So that's just, it, it's, I, yeah. it, it's good for people that don't, you know, you don't, it's, it's uh, uh, not being able to financially afford therapy is not an excuse when it comes to gambling therapy. There are enough avenues out there that you can, you know, that or, or government aided and or, or other aided uh, avenues that you don't need to put up the money you're telling me. That's right. That's especially true in the state of California. I think that California, because of a bill passed in the legislature and taking a portion of the funds from the casinos for prevention and treatment, has created this 1-800-GAMBLER program. So if you have no money through 1-800-GAMBLER, you can speak to a therapist for free. It's a great program. Beautiful. Let's talk about the casinos and the sports books out there. You know, the advertisement since regulation has passed several years now. How has that impacted? Obviously, your client list and, and stopbettingsports.com has probably increased it by, by X factor. Um, are the sports books, do you believe, or are they doing enough? Could they do more? Um, do they even care? Uh, you know, and, and, you know, I know, you know, you're probably friendly or, you know, I don't want you to walk on eggshells here, but do the best you can um, and, and try to be as real as possible on this. Well, I think that they they need to bear a lot of the responsibility for the increasing amount of problem gamblers in the state of California and, and nationwide. And and there are departments within DraftKings and FanDuel that, that are working on problem gambling and addressing problem gambling issues. And there are supposedly ways through these websites in which problem gamblers can be flagged. But you know, my point of view is that the overriding desire for these companies is to generate revenue. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a money game. Yeah. And that the human cost of, of problem gamblers, you know, and, and and not that they don't care so much, but they care more about the dollars. Um, so although there is a lot of you know, effort, and I was at the National Council of Problem Gambling Conference in Boston, and DraftKings and FanDuel were present there, and the people that spoke on behalf of those organizations feel sincere, I just have a general cynicism about their real desire as an overriding organization to address this huge public health crisis of gambling addiction that, yeah. that we're facing right now. Absolutely. Because it's, 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 it's directly contrary to, to their, to a business model. It's direct. Exactly. Like, there's nothing, you know, you know, most of these sports books, you know, sure your 10 and $20 betters is one thing, but they focus a lot of the times on getting these big, big fat, rich whales that bet a lot of money that, you know, and, and, and you know, the VIP guys, and that, that's a big, big portion. The more whales you have, the better so to be able to push those whales away is just my god you know uh, you know I, I could only imagine inside these organizations you got the one or two people from you know the gamblers anonymous or the, the the problem gambling are probably talking to the hundred people that are saying no, no 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 please this guy he can handle himself he's okay you know because it's all about revenue so i just i i believe that these organizations um have to have a presence of trying to stop problem gambling but i think that their voices are completely in the minority and i think they're just so overwhelmed by the uh the the desire to of course increase revenue what do you say to that i do you know i can imagine boardrooms filled with 19 people that are about revenue and profit and algorithmic ways of getting people compelled to gamble more. And then there's, oh yeah, let's talk, talk to the problem gambling, gambler person like that. You know, they're ob obligated to have such a department and they're obligated to have such resources and a 1-800 line, et cetera. But it, it conflicts with their business model. And so, you know, I don't want to 
poo-poo or demonize the people that want to make money. We all want to make money in the different businesses that, that we have, but they're doing it at the backs of problem gamblers that has a real human consequence in American households. And that's what I'm concerned about. And um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. It seems like a big locomotive that's just heading for the station and everyone's getting excited about all the money that can be made, but these dollars, being pulled out of American families is creating a real hardship and heartache in families that, that therapists and mediators like me, me are dealing with increasingly. With respect to advertisements, um, you could watch a game or you could watch anything. You, you could, you, I don't think you could go a day with watching television without seeing a gambling mm-hmm. ad at this point for a sports book or you go to a ball game, you go to anything. It's just everywhere. Um, there was a time in which cigarette advertisements were prominent in this country, and those are just no longer allowed. Um, where the Marlboro Man, and you right. see all this. So th- they stopped all that because it was just because of a health crisis that kids were just just smoking cigarettes, you know, lung cancer, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a, a point in which enough is enough and that this advertisement needs to, if not stop completely, which probably will never happen, but does it need to be managed to an extent that, um, that hey, listen, let's pull the reins in a little bit here and try to get a hold of this uh, national uh, problem of, of, of gambling addiction? Yes. And I think that in time, it took decades before the, the cigarette ads were pulled out of magazines, or I guess they weren't pulled out of magazines, off of TV. They eventually were, will be. And I think that, you know, probably in my dying day, there'll be some, some changes in this area, you know? But, but let's not make any mistake about it. These books and these websites are highly addictive and incredibly destructive for people. And so the celebrities and the, the, the money behind these efforts to pull people into gambling are very irresponsible. So I would call on the celebrities and the people themselves to just not do that because it's hurting people. Yeah. This hurts. Uh, yeah, I, I can't argue with you there. And then, you know, just to just flip the coin a little bit, um, you know, this is a revenue-based business that these sports bookers are running, and they'll have a guy with a check. They'll have an advertisement. Oh, winners are welcome, and guys are hitting big jackpots and all this <laughs> thing. But guys like me, at certain at some of these sports books, we're limited to you know, literally four dollars and fifty-seven cents. Uh, they, they won't take any bets from us. So it's just pure revenue based. And it's, um, you know, there's not, there, there, there's a side in which they, they pretend like they care about the whales that have no control, but they'll give them sky's the limit. And then the professionals, of course, we don't even get a fair shake. So it's a complete, complete, everything is, is not worried about the public or worried about to trying to just treat everybody fairly and, and, and worry about guys that are ruining their lives or jumping off a bridge, everything, the underlying factors always to try to maximize revenue in every way, shape or form. And hopefully that one day could change, like you said, Dan, but I don't see it coming anytime soon. No, there's too much money to be made and it's too exciting. And it's a, it's a business opportunity but I hope people look in the mirror and, 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 and say to they, themselves, is this really something that I want to get involved in, making money off the backs of human suffering? Because that's what this is creating, you know? Or maybe people don't care, you know? I think there's a lot of lack of care in the world. Now, when you say human suffering, now what it was, you know, somebody might say, all right, Dan, listen, I like to bet on a game here and there. I like to have fun on the weekend, watch the games. I'm not suffering. I know I'm going to lose a few dollars, but I want to have a good time. You know, what if what if somebody says to you, I think you're just over exaggerating. What do you say to that guy that's telling you that? Well, I, w- I would say that my perspective is skewed by the hours that I spend with problem gamblers. And yes, the majority of gamblers are recreational gamblers. The majority of cocaine users are recreational cocaine users. But we're playing with cocaine. Let's not pretend that this is just an innocent activity. This is like crack. And so we need to treat it with, with the respect that the addictive qualities of crack cocaine has. And that, that's all I'm saying. And yes, you know, you have, have a few drinks and hang out with your friends on a Sunday and bet on a game. Recreational gambling can be a life enhancement. I'm not disagreeing with that. I just have my antennae up because I see 
the potential for severe addiction that can happen so quickly. You can, I just heard a story yesterday, you know, of uh, uh, a person not in treatment, my, my clients in treatment, his friends, his whole, he was very diligent in working through high school, you know, restaurant work, et cetera, lost everything in the course of about three months betting on sports, all of that hard work up in smoke. It's a, you know, it's, it's destructive. It's highly addictive and people don't realize how powerfully you can get hooked so quickly and how financially destructive it can be. So I'm not saying get rid of sports betting. I'm not saying it's the devil. My perspective is obviously colored by my experiences and talking to people, but you know, we are playing with fire and a lot of people are and will be caught up in this epidemic. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I can't disagree. Can't you know? Your website stop betting sports. Um, so you kind of you know you just you, you want to push to stop betting sports for people that just can't control themselves. Yeah, well, you I don't want to stop betting sports for everybody. No, no. And someone that is going to an addiction treatment website is going to be willing to sign up for the program, which is a month at least of not spending betting sports talking about your underlying, if you have depression, anxiety, some underlying issues, getting some coaching and accountability for physical exercise and other things. Can we talk about cost of a one month program or it just depends on the client? It depends on the client and if I include family sessions, but you know, it's a lot less than a residential treatment program. So typically we're talking about $1,800, you know. How many sessions um, does that include? It includes an assessment with me, and then my partner, David, will do typically two sessions a week for four weeks, some family work as needed, and then a follow-up uh, uh, session with me. You know, and I'm also available as well. When you say family work, um, how, how, you know, let's talk about the demographic here. I'm, I'm guessing all males are 95%, 99%. So far males. since the website has come on, it's been a hundred percent male. Okay. Clients. So it's all males. Um, not that any female be better, better problem gamblers out there, but you know, you're all included, but uh, you know, just the demographic of sports betting. Um, so a hundred percent males, what age range are we talking about here? 20s. <laughs> you 20s. Know? So young guns, young, young guns. You know? so, yeah. Young yeah. guns trying to go for the dream. You know, they got the they're trying to trying to dream it out. And then so 20s is let's describe because this is real. I know a lot of people might listening, they're probably like, you know, I've seen this, I know somebody, this could even be me. Let's talk about, you know, when mom comes on the <clears> phone, because you said you mentioned families. You know, is mom, does mom sometimes make the first call? Is she wailing on the phone? You know, get into that a little bit. Let's get this real here because you've heard and seen it, you know, heard it all, seen it all. How deep does it get, Dan? It gets very deep. And I am almost inevitably first talking to mom or dad about the the, the hole that their, their kid is in, the dismay that, that they feel, the disappointment, the anger the rage that they feel about wasting so much money. The fact that, you know, their, their kid has not been working and has been betting on sports or squandered so much time and money with this. So I, so I have to excuse the therapeutic term, validate the feelings of the family and really listen to them and provide some support for them because they're very pissed off and they want some assurance that if they go to stop betting sports, that, it's going to work and their, their kid is going to stop some, you know, with time. But you can't give them that assurance. I can't promise that, you know, but I do say that, you know, let's work on not betting for a month. Let's have some, you know, some, I'll mediate some conversations and uh, let's get some coaching, you know, and let's, you know, let's work a program, but it can get very highly emotional, you know, um, and then there's also a degree of culpability. You know, one of the things that when I do family work, it's not just the gambler who's at fault. It's dad, often, frankly, that introduced their kid to gambling that was somewhat irresponsible in taking him to the horse track or the, the casino on the boat or to Vegas. I've heard all these scenarios. So the, the kid learns that dad likes gambling or that this is fun. And, and that influence has to be talked about because the kid feels like shit. The parents are angry. 
And there needs to be a, you know, a discussion about how this happened. It's not just all of a sudden this person's betting on sports. So, you know, the addiction exists within the family system. You know, everyone is involved in it, not just the person that's gambling. And this this crosses all financial lines where we're talking, you know, lower class, upper class, uh, affluential doesn't you know, Absolutely. there's no demographic that oh no this only happens to the middle class or it, it's it, it spans the entire financial gamut absolutely there there are very uh impoverished people that have come to my practice more brick and mortar casino type gamblers that you know have the 25 dollar free play coupon and get their self on the bus to the local casino and then there are people that are you know in deep for hundreds of thousands millions of dollars it, the disorder is just as severe the numbers in a way don't matter you know it's the, the brain disorder you know if you're if you're on a fixed income or you make a couple hundred thousand a year the degree of severity of gambling addiction is the same Let's talk about given that there's, you know, you've been doing this for a while before regulation. You've obviously some people are are into it for with with unregulated bookmakers, mm-hmm. street bookies. How do you navigate through that? Do you have, you know, let's talk about what uh, Dan Field or what you rel- what you do to try to see if the guy's going to be able to pay his bookmaker off and what happens there. Well, I try to prioritize things that need to be paid, and I generally feel that current relationships that are meaningful are the best debts to pay first because you want to maintain those relationships. You know, one of the big debates in in residential gambling treatment is, do you pay your bookies? Do you pay their debts? They're bookies. They know what they're getting into. Maybe they should expect that they're not always going to be paid back. GA stance is that you pay your debts. You do a, you know, pressure relief thing and you look at the things and if you owe money, you're ethically obligated to, to pay them back. Um, in terms of my dealings with bookie them, bookies themselves and facilitating that, I generally don't do it because I, I don't really, you know, I'm not in that world so much, you know, um, but there, there might be somewhat, you know, occasionally there's someone who might help navigate that. Um, usually a, a, a strong dad in many cases will be the ones negotiating with, with the books You know, when they've called me, they've had to do these types of negotiations before. And I and I can talk to the parent about how best to navigate that, you know, and usually there can be a payment plan or or they'll get like 25 or 50 cents on the dollar type thing. They just want to get some of their money back. Yeah, man. No, I hear you. Oh, man, it's just such a a complicated web. I want to open up now to YouTube chat. Let me pull this up to some questions. Um, If anybody have any questions for Dan, um, we'll start it up. Let me just open up this YouTube chat here. Uh, Questions start now, and then I'll just take them one step at a time here, and we'll try to get you some questions. and then uh, we'll go from there, Dan. I got the YouTube Great. chat up. Maybe we'll have some guys chime in, have a question or a comment or something that you might be able to help with. Um, but this has been very, uh, very, very enlightening and, and educational for me also, um, as well as I'm pretty sure anybody that's out there that's going to be, that's watching or going to be listening on the podcast, um, you know, you really have done um uh, you're doing a good deed here, Dan, and, and um, eighteen hundred um, for a set for to be able to, uh, you know, essentially cure yourself of this well, a, a, a month of getting a month, yeah, know, yeah. right, of, of abstaining and getting some support and therapy, and 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 let's just say, what percentage of clients are only uh, don't return after a month? Um, you know, it's tough because, like, obviously, you're trying to maintain a business. So far, here. none. So far, all of them have, have done at least two months. Okay, so yeah. two months is the minimum. So you got to be in for thirty six hundred. Um, oh no, 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 no! It's just one month. But then, then I say, okay, do you want to do another month? And and so far, all of all of our clients have gone for at least the second month, and some are doing ongoing support. And it's eighteen hundred a month. Yeah, you know, we really, you know, we don't have a fixed price point. You'll, you'll work with somebody after on the second month. Yeah. You're a businessman. I get it. All right. Here we go. Do you ever refer anyone to inpatient treatment? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a program in California that a lot of people I don't think know about that's no cost residential treatment. 
And so I have a working relationship with the staff there. So since I'm based in Los Angeles, it's mostly you know, in and around Los Angeles and there's a program in Arizona that I've referred to as well. You know? Beautiful. Uh, Murray Educational, love the conversation or real life information. Next, do you often find your clients have problems with other types of addiction, such as substance abuse? Is there ever a cross therapy where it's not just gambling? Yeah, almost um, more often than not, there's a cross addiction. Um, you know, um, overeating, I don't know why exactly, but there can be this hunger <laughs> that's created when you're not gambling. So talking about diet and exercise is part of our, our treatment. And then there can be, you know, you know, sex and porn addiction. There, there can be, you know, alcohol and, you know, any, any host of, of drug addictions. Got it. Uh, what's the success rate of people who seek help? You know, it's hard, it's hard to gauge. And I know that's a, not a great, you know, selling point. You know, um, I'm just starting stop betting sports. So I don't have, you know, follow up data on how people are doing one year, you know, five years later. Uh, the UCLA Gambling Studies Program does follow up interviews a year later. And uh, the data indicates that the more sessions you do in therapy, the more GA involvement, the better prognosis that you're going to have for abstaining from gambling in a year's time. It's just hard to, it's hard to gather that data. Prognosis. Yeah. You got a better prognosis, but let's be honest. This is gambling. It's just, just like in any other addiction. What's the rate of relapse? You know, how, how you know, that's got to be real high, isn't there's it? A whole, there's a whole bunch of different studies. And, you know, I, I've heard 90% of people relapse. Oh. And I just don't, but I don't like that. I, it's bullshit to me. You know, one study will say 90%, one will say 50%. These numbers are not helpful. It's your individual relationship to gambling. And do you recognize that this is a problem? Do you have the commitment to change it? And if you do recognize it's a problem and you do have the commitment, then you can and will abstain. Long. I love it. Good point. It's all the individual. Does Dan believe that professional sports betters are real or, or are we all just eventual or current addicts watching screens? You know, like I said, my perspective is that of a gambling therapist that talks to problem gamblers. And I know that there are people that are not addicted, that, that have a, a functional relationship to sports betting and um, do it recreationally or even make a living out of it, you know? So I am aware that that, that you know, that, that that exists. Yeah. <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot and, and I'm glad you're aware of that because a lot of therapists think that, uh, nah, you know, you're, you're steering your guys wrong if you tell them you can't do, you can't go pro. That's um, there right. is a very small chance you can, um, you know what I mean? If you listen to Be Better Betters, for instance. All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on man of the line? Okay. I don't know what that man of the line. Okay. Uh, here we go. Any thoughts on sports folks advertising with beautiful women? Could that be fueling these problem gamblers? Yeah. I mean, sex sells. So you have a beautiful woman on the screen. You associate that sexual image with, with gambling. I mean, it's, it's marketing one oh one. Yeah. You know, like there could be a, you know, unfortunately a connection between Oh, I'm going to gamble. And when I win the gambling, you know, I'm going to have enough money to pay for sex. And that's an issue that I've worked with on more than a few occasions. I feel like shit without money. I win money. The girl, I, I, I you know, the girls are going to like me more or I'm going to pay for the pretty girl. And so the self-esteem issue outside of gambling and money, you know, is something that has to be plotted through in therapy because that's not a hard that's a tough one to address yeah um i also want to just state you know a lot of the, the there's a lot of w beautiful women out there that you know talk about picks sell picks give out picks for free and usually there's a inverse correlation with <laughs> how good the, how, how good looking the girl is versus uh, um how much uh she she could win at betting sports i think that's a would that be a safe uh, assessment to make i then? think that's probably spot on <laughs> all right i love it any other questions here here we go Combining sports betting with sex, what can go wrong? That's what somebody just said right there, Ryan C. Uh, um, well, you know, like bipolar disorder, you know, you're, you're preoccupied with your phone and what's happening in a game. You're not having good sex because 
you're engaged in like a Chargers game, put your phone down and have good sex with your girlfriend. Gotcha. You know, seriously, it's, it preoccupies you. You know, you could be literally checking scores before, during, and after sex with your partner. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Uh, have you ever had a quote-unquote winning player that came for treatment? Maybe making lots of money created other problems. Oh, shit. That's a nice question. Well, you know, when they see me, the money's gone. But I have, you know, heard of, you know, scenario, you know, runs that have lasted, you know, a few years, actually. Yeah. I mean, people have been on good, successful runs. I've also had a couple of clients that were collegiate or pro professional athletes. And I think that's another a burgeoning issue is that people that, you know, didn't make it to the pros, um, but are very competitive and very involved in sports, that drive got hijacked by, by gambling addiction. And wow. I think that, and I think that that's going to be an issue on college. I, I know it is an issue and we're going to see a lot more of that of, 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 you know, because when you're a college athlete, you're a superstar on, in so many levels. Um, and if you're now you're making money, you know, you're being paid if you're an elite athlete on college campuses. So you're a superstar and you have money and you're gambling. Um, that that could really blow up in your face when you know when the spotlights you know turn off gotcha all right i think we're done and we'll give another minute or two for any more questions then um the name of this podcast is called be better betters um for you it's stopbettingsports.com that's how you should recommend people not to be better better just not bet right? <laughs> right but um but uh, what what can you say maybe to some advice? Like if let's just say somebody is out there saying, Dan, listen, I think I might have an issue. Um, I don't know really. I can't stop, but it's not ruining my life per se. Um, I, I you know, I, I, I enjoy it, but I, I, I think it's under control, but I could see it getting out of control one day. Like I'm on that cusp, you know, of just of it's under control, but I don't know. Should I take a session? Should I start doing something about it before it gets out of control? Um, is that something that you've seen a lot that, that, that maybe you could give advice on? Yeah, I would look at my sports betting in the aggregate over the last 12 to 24 months and look at those instances in which you maybe threw your cell phone against the wall or, or banged the table or were in desperate uh, shakes uh, financially, we tend to underplay the severity of the hardships that we've experienced and be in some degree of you know, denial and, and not really acknowledging. So take an honest look of how things have been in the last couple of years in the aggregate in those instances in which you made promises to yourself which you did not keep in which you had intentions to address the gambling issue and you did not take them. And with a spirit of love and hopefulness, you know, give a call to stop betting sports or, 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 or someone to, to talk about it, you know, to get some counsel. I love it. I, you know, what I always tell if you just keep accurate records um, and if you just keep records of your betting, um, you'll realize how much money you're spending on this, how much you're losing a week, how much you're losing a month. And then you have to be, see if, listen, I'm, I'm, or how much you're winning if, for the anybody that's winning. Are you comfortable with that number? And I think records, because like you said, Dan, a lot of people just, you know, they just forget about the bad times or how bad things happen. But if you keep accurate records and you could see a whole big picture a month later, two months later, I think keeping good records is a good step towards identifying the problem and seeing, oh, wow, I'm really, you know, losing this much money on gambling. Absolutely. Maybe I should cut it down. I think accurate record keeping, if I were to give some advice, is a good first step on, on getting to that. Um, let me see here. We got one more, another question. Um, well, okay. Okay, do you, uh, hold on. Do you have more sports bettors come to you than horse bettors? Yes, I do. Gotcha. But horse betting has a special love and passion. The horse, the people that like racing, usually their, their dads took them to the track and they love the animals. And there's something appealing about horse racing to me, you know, um, in, in, in that way. My, my uncle was very, was, was 
very involved in horse racing and, and promoting, he actually promoted horse racing in, in media. Uh, so it's a bit of a different animal with horse racing, like literally, but uh, increasingly I'm seeing more, more sports bettings. Let me just share a story. This is kind of a crazy story, but it's kind of, um, um, it's, it's, I don't know if this is a good thing or not to admit, but me and my buddy, sometimes we'd say, listen, why don't we, one day we went to the track and we said, instead of betting on the horses, let's, instead of watching the screens, we would, we would pick a person watching the horse races and we would bet on who would have a more negative reaction. Um, so instead of watching a horse race, we would just watch the people watching the races. And I tell you, the entertainment, and again, I don't want to, you know, again, but the entertainment and watching people sweat a horse race is by far one of the best things um, to uh, to look at. And then, you know, and then you actually bet with your buddy um, on who would, uh, you know, who would have the more negative reaction. I think that's just... Um, you know, is something that that to just kind of turn it around a little bit and, and yeah. have a fun day at the track. Yeah, um, we're, we're kindred spirits that way. That sounds uh, entertaining to me too. Yeah, okay, good. I love it. Uh, okay. Um, the, okay. What do you think about? Um, what do you think about when you see mixed comedy with betting advice, so-called betutainment? I don't know about betutainment, but it's normalizing sports betting and it's sort of like promoting crack cocaine in your comedy act. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I, I definitely have mixed feelings about that. Gotcha. Do you think sports betting predetermined or fixed can lead to, can lead to this addiction and mental health being worse? Um, a lot of people think a lot of these games are fixed, which um, is, I think it's bullshit, but let's just skip that one. Okay. Next. I just want to say thank you to both for you guys for doing this. A lot of good info. Uh, okay. On your clients, usually getting good CLV. That's obviously not. Harold, if you can't learn something from this stuff, you ain't trying. Thanks, Spanky and Dan, for your time and efforts. Thanks for doing this live, Spanky. Great as always. Always tremendous detailed answers, Dan. Excellent stuff. Um, thanks for sharing. All right. I think we're good. Dan. Such a pleasure, my man. It, it was really great. was. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love talking about this stuff. I love I really this. And, I, and, and, and hopefully, um, if anybody out there, let me just say it right now. You know, if you have a problem, talk to Dan. Look at him. He's a real, looks really, he's a real nice guy down to earth. You seem like, you know what I mean? He's not going to bang it out. First consultation is always free, Dan, for the most part. Yes. Okay. First consultation's free. Just mention the code Be Better Betters, or what are we doing here? It's always free. Yeah, no it's mentioned Be Better Betters. Yeah. All right. You got it, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, give Dan a call if you're having a problem. Um, and it's 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 nothing embarrassing. We all have problems. Everybody has problems. Listen, I got to lose weight. You know what I mean? I'm not in the best of shape. Um, every we all n nobody's perfect. We all have different issues and um, nothing to be ashamed about. That's just part of life. Nobody's perfect. And you just work on trying to solve the little problems that you have in life and before they become big problems. And if they're big problems, don't worry about it. There's always a way. Suicide's never the answer. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. So um, um, hopefully we could touch some people out here listening to this. I hope so. And, um, and um, then again, the name of the website, stopbettingsports.com. Dan. Thank you, Spanky. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Until next time.